This is the No Limits Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Joey Goche with Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. Welcome back. Glad that you're here. Uh, as some of you have noticed and probably uh, will notice after this episode, a, a lot of the images that um, you see are mine. I am learning the black arts of photography. Um, it's difficult, but um, what I found myself doing was thumbing through the gram and I'm cognizant now. Um, I think I always saw some of these really, really talented creators. Um, but I'm not saying I didn't pay attention to them. I don't think I had an appreciation for all of the moving parts that goes into creating really, really good images. Images that really tell a story and make the make the consumer of that image feel like um, there's a common bond because they've been in common places and seen common things. Um, and so I've really been cognizant of that lately and noticing, man, there's a lot of talented creators, um, creative folks, which <clears throat> I never really considered myself one, uh, still don't. Um, but really have a newfound appreciation for what it takes to make things just look really, really good. And so, as you'd also notice, like we're sharing more, um, more content from those creators on our Instagram page. And it's because uh, a couple of things, because I'm not there yet, um, but also because we really want Revelation Outdoors, the Instagram page Revelation Outdoors, to be kind of a community where, um, you know, it's not, we're not in competition with anybody. Uh, we want to celebrate other creatives and their work and their passion, uh, and their attention to detail and their desire to bring really, really good quality, uh, emotion stirring images, um, to millions of people. And so I ran across a page, um, it's called of the field. And the more I dug through the images, I was just really um, don't quite know what it was. But I think I, I do know one post in particular that we're going to talk about um, at some point this evening. Um, but the posts were just the, the photos, the images just really, for whatever reason, I can't put my finger on it, really grabbed me. I'm like, I got to reach out to this guy. Um so sent Matt Carey, who is the director, the the owner, the publisher of that page, a DM and just um, said, hey, man, would it be all right if we shared some of your stuff? And he got right back to me like, yeah, immediately. No, no, no problem. Um, and so we did. And um, folks really, really, really liked it. And I said, you know, I got to get this guy on the on the podcast because I think he's wired like me in more ways than one. And we're going to talk about that. And so, um, <clears throat> tonight's that night. Um, we're fortunate to have Matt Carey in the shop in the rod shop as it were tonight. And, uh, we're going to talk a lot about where he draws his inspiration and, and where he got bit by the bug for, for photography and, um, uh, his passion for hunting. And we're going to get into all that. So, 
Matt, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, dude, thanks for uh, taking time on a balmy, steamy Monday night. Uh, they say in podcasting, <laughs> you're not supposed to say whether it's day or night or what day. So whatever. I don't particularly follow a lot of rules. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, man, it's it's good to finally um, get you on. Like I said, I've really a, a big fan of uh, of your stuff. There's there's one post in particular that will we'll talk about it um, a little bit later. Um, but when I found that post, I knew that you were somebody that I had to get on um, just to uh, think your brain works like mine, as scary as that is. Um, <laughs> I think your brain works like mine. And so it was just, uh, I knew that I had to have you on and I'm, I'm glad we're, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're finally there. So yeah. thanks again. For sure. So, um, you live in Nashville right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your shirt say, bro? Um, it's so it's a it's a picture of a crappie and yeah. or as they say in Tennessee, crappie. I don't know. I don't know how you guys say it. That's the but, right way uh, to say it. <laughs> so we say crappie. I'm from Georgia originally, um, but it's a picture of a crappie with like a little forest kind of running through it. Um, and oh, it's yeah. it's actually one of my one. <clears throat> Actually, another guy, um, I was on his podcast. This was probably a year or two ago, uh, Rise, Kill, Eat. He found me oh, yeah. through. I had I had put that out as a uh, hashtag or something. He found me, and we started talking yeah. and sent me a few shirts. I was on that so. one not too long ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love this shirt. <laughs> it looks well worn, bro. Yeah. It's, it's a little wrinkly right now, but it's clean. <laughs> hey, man. It's okay. I'm wrinkly. It's okay. It's no problem. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about kind of what made you pick up a camera in the first place. Um, where you, where, from where you draw, I want to be, my English teacher might be listening. So I want to say grammatically correct <laughs> from where you draw your inspirations. Um, and we'll talk a lot about duck hunting. We're going to talk about your faith. Um, but before that, Let's go back to the beginning. You mentioned you grew up in Georgia. Um, take us back to the beginning where you grew up. What did you do? Tell me about your folks. All that yeah. Stuff. So I, I was born a little outside of Atlanta, just Northeast of Atlanta, a town called Lawrenceville. Um, I would, I was there, I was born there. I was there until I was 18 years old. Um, my dad, you know, grew up not far from there and, and same with my mom. She had moved to New Jersey at some point during high school or middle school or something like that, but then ended up back in Georgia. And so my family wow. comes together that way. Dude, what would, what would take you from Georgia to New Jersey? It, well, like my Georgia. grandfather, he worked for Bell South. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm assuming it was within work and all that they moved up there, but I actually don't know. <laughs> I bet you they couldn't um, wait to get back. Oh yeah, for sure. My, as soon as my, uh, my aunt, she went to college, she decided to go to college in Georgia as well. And, uh, my grandparents moved back as soon as, they, yeah. <laughs> as soon as everybody was back down here. So, um, yeah, I mean, not, nothing against my, my Jersey brethren up there, but you ain't get me out of the South, dude. <laughs> ain't happening. I, 
it only only within the last few days of it getting up to like close to a hundred degrees would I even consider maybe a summer home up north. But right, I right, I, I love getting all the all the seasons and every all the variation yeah. for sure. Um, so you were in Georgia till about what age? You said uh, until I was eighteen. Yeah, and okay. you know Georgia for me, like my grandparents, they lived on a lake, and so that was kind of you know, really from my beginning, I, I was on the water. I was doing something outside. We, uh, you know, we always joke around at, at when we were five, me and all my cousins, we all had to get on the, the knee boards. And so we were out there riding on the lake. Um, but within that, for sure, we, we were fishing a bunch too. My grandfather loves to fish, you know, he doesn't do it as much now, but uh, he used to go crazy. I mean, he'd stay up all night catching bass and all that, but um, that ain't a bad thing. Yeah, no, but, um, but yeah, so we grew up, I, I basically over the summers grew up there on the lake, uh, with them and, um, and then I, I would go back to the suburbs of Atlanta <laughs> during the school year yeah. and all, but, um, but yeah, so grew up, grew up there. Kind of my life, uh, was, I was really interested at that time. And I guess even within, riding boards and being on the water and all that. I got into skateboarding and, uh, BMX and all that kind of stuff, but mainly skateboarding. And, um, kind of around that time I had a friend who, who was really into photography and I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. I'll get a camera. Mm -hmm. So I got like a little, uh, point and shoot Lumix camera and, uh, just started kind of like Really, I I used it a lot to do skate videos and all that. We, you know, before that we had a a camcorder, you know, doing tape videos on oh, yeah. on the yeah. skateboard, all that. And then and then when I had this point and shoot, we, you know, our our skate videos went to the next level. <laughs> We'd take <laughs> all all sorts of different photos and all that. But do um, y'all were gonna start like Thrasher magazine or something? Oh, for sure. I mean, before, <laughs> like, I mean, when I was in high school, my goal was definitely to be a professional skateboarder <laughs> and my backup plan was music <laughs> so really um i had i had big dreams from the beginning yeah but man. um but That's yeah so <laughs> yeah so um yeah that was kind of like my life back then you know fishing riding on the boards on the lake riding skateboards and then i, I picked up a guitar at the age of 11 and started playing guitar um, so that was kind of all that I was doing. And then, you know, the, there was like a, a camera at like one little blip in that time. And then I kind of, you know, it was more of a social thing. Like my buddy had one. I was like, oh, I want to do that too. You know, I just like hang out with people. Right. right <laughs> and right, so, right. um, you know, that kind of went on and I still took photos here and there. I went on some trips. I went to, when I was in high school, I went on a, a mission trip down to Guatemala. And so I took my camera down there and took some cool pictures, but that was kind of the extent of it. You know, it was a, you know, a memory device right, for me. Right, right, no, right. I didn't have, I guess I, I didn't really have a cell phone that would take decent pictures back then. You know, I had, I had a little flip phone that I, it could take a picture, but you know, it looked yeah. super, super bad. So, you know, what's funny, man is, um, the amount of really, really talented creators that you see on Instagram that do all their stuff on their phone. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can do so much, especially with, I had picked up, we ran into some people in Charleston when I was there a few weeks back for a, uh, our anniversary trip. And um, I, this guy asked me to take their picture and I picked up his iPhone and I was like, holy crap, this thing's got like three cameras and you oh, could yeah. get some pretty good depth with the with the zoom lens on there. It was Yeah, I mean really you can nice. change the F stop, you can do all kind of stuff with it, man. Yeah. And I I I know some of the other phones besides the iPhone are 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 probably incredible as well. I've just never fiddled with them. Yeah, man, if you can um if you can if you're decent in Lightroom and you kind of know how to get the effects that you want to get and kind of like there's so much that you can do with yeah. this thing now. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So what did you, what did your folks do growing up in Georgia? So my mom, she was into um, doing personal training. You know, when we were young kids, she did like aerobics classes and then she got her personal trainer uh, certification started, you know, doing one-on-one clients and all that stuff. And then um, so there's mom my, getting after it. Yeah. Both my parents are super active. My, you know, my dad, he'd come home from work and be on the treadmill. And when he got, when he finally got an iPad, he put his iPad on the end of the treadmill. He's just watching Netflix shows, <laughs> but, um, he'll stay on there for a long time. Just 50 walking. miles watching Netflix. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my dad, he, um, he used to work, uh, he was in, well, he, he still is in it, um, but when I was a kid, he was working for, uh, he was doing IT for larger companies, specifically banks. So he worked for uh, Wachovia for a while. And then mm. obviously that's no longer a thing. So mm. when, when Wachovia got bought out, he left and started his own company. And so um, he, he does, he's got his own company. He had another guy go on, in on it with him and they do business, uh, small business IT in the Atlanta area. And that's cool. You know, since COVID all around now, yeah. they've done a ton of, ton of things just remotely. So. Right. Right. Now they, are they still in Georgia? Yeah. They live in flowery branch, Georgia now. So, um, gotcha. they, gotcha. they moved, they moved probably just a few years ago out of my childhood home. So that was kind of, Oh really? Odd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so let's see. Matt is about, well, in high school, um, he's riding skateboards, trying to be the next Tony Hawk. He's uh, fiddling around with point and shoots, and he's catching the most awesome video on a camcorder. <laughs> and he is on the lake, kneeboarding, and then grow up time hits, and it's time to go to college, right? Yeah. And, and kind of in the midst of that, like, so I, I, you know, like I said, I started playing guitar when I was 11. Um, and I was, I was kind of really involved at my church, uh, playing mm-hmm. guitar and stuff there. So when, uh, my skateboarding career didn't seem like it was turning out, <laughs> the only thing I could think to do for money was something within music. Um, right. And, you know, so I started thinking about college and all of that and, um, the one school in Georgia that I was interested in was university of Georgia. My family, they're all Bulldogs fans. And I was like, man, it'd be really cool to go there. And they had a, a music business program 
So I, I applied there and I applied probably like four or five different other state schools. I got in at every single place except for the University of Georgia. <laughs> and so wow. I was like, what in the world? And I didn't want to go to any of the other schools. And then my mom, she had found Middle Tennessee State in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yep, and, yep. you know, she started telling me about it and they have a, a good music program and whatever. And I was like, mom, I don't want to do anything that you came up with. <laughs> like, right, I'm right. finally an adult. Let me make my decision. And she's like, well, let's just go visit. So we drive up to Murfreesboro, go, go visit. MTSU. And I was like, this is cool. We walk into, they had some recording studios. We got to tour and it was just super cool and met a, met a couple cool people. And I was like, all right, I think, I think I want to go here. But I had, yeah. you know, I was like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> There's so, a jam up barbecue restaurant right off the campus. Pig something. Slick pig. Yes. That's the that's the pig. one that everybody loves. They had they had a deal. It was like dollar barbecue sandwiches on Tuesdays, yes. I think. And so we'd yeah. go just load up. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the dudes I work with um, went there, and so in my job, I work with a lot of law enforcement, a lot of cops. Murfreesboro is one of my clients. Rutherford County is one of my clients, right? Yep. And so. Uh, we were there at Murphy's Burger PD and he's like, I'm going to take you to the slick pig. And he told me, he gave <laughs> me the whole background on it. Um, and what's funny is he said that there was one police officer that everybody was terrified of, like at the bar, everyone was terrified <laughs> of getting pulled over by officer. I forgot what his name was. Well, we go to the PD and who do you think we meet with? That dude, this bro's there. He's <laughs> <laughs> that dude is still yeah. there, and yeah. <laughs> uh, he was the coolest guy. I'm like, Trav, you were afraid of this guy. He's like, man, I'm telling you, everybody <laughs> was terrified of this dude. It was yeah. funny. Slick pig, that's it. That's it. Slick pig. Yeah. We would eat so much barbecue. It it was by no means like award winning, but a one dollar sandwich. I mean. And you're in walking distance to the, 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 the campus. I mean, what are you going to do? It wasn't, um, it, dude, I don't remember it being all that bad when no, we ate there. It's good. It's good. I mean, people get serious about barbecue, so I, I you know, yeah. tread lightly there, but. <laughs> hey, man, a buck's a buck, you know? Yeah. You pay more. Yeah. yeah. You pay more for that going, going to get a McRib or something. So <laughs> some mystery meat sandwich. <laughs> So MTSU, uh, beautiful campus. We yeah. drove through there. Um, tell me about that. What was that like? Yeah, well, so when I was there, the whole place was under construction. <laughs> they were, you know, in the process of doing so much uh, upgrades to all the buildings, building new education building, building new student building. Um, There's a bunch of old so, buildings that they retroed, right? For sure. And then they, they, they built a lot of new ones and I, they even built some more since I've, I've left the whole, the whole, all the roadways around there look crazy different and way nicer. But, um, but yeah, so I, I get there, I don't know anybody and you know, my, my major that I'm, I'm under is recording industry major with a focus in audio production. So 
Um, I was more focused on the tech side of all the music creation versus there was other songwriting and there was music business. So, uh, and so was your the, plan like to produce, like to work on re- like records and and like create all of the the cool sounds that you hear on the radio? That became my plan. <laughs> no, okay. I, I had no, I had no idea. I like honestly, like when I moved up to Murfreesboro, I was really just planning on playing guitar. I was like, I'll just play guitar and I'll learn this stuff. It'd be good to probably know it. And um, I'll come up here and I'll be in a band and I'll get famous. And that'll be, that'll be the end of it. You know, that, that was the extent of my idea of life. It's a pretty Um, original dream for someone moving up close to Nashville, right? (laughs) For sure. Especially. I'm sure you're the only one that's done that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I, I, along the way, I kind of find my way in that and I figure out, you know, I don't want to be in a band. If I'm going to play guitar, I'm going to play for somebody cause I don't want to be in charge of it. <laughs> cause it's mm-hmm. like being in a band with four or five guys, it's like being married to four or five guys and yeah. agreeing on everything is just like, it's stupid. So I don't yeah. I, some of these bands that have been together for years and years, I'm like, you guys are you know, I have no idea how they do it, but, um, I, I, so I, you know, I do that for a bit. I'm in a band. It was fine. We, you know, had fun, but I end up playing guitar for people for a while. Uh, just well, different kind of artists. Stuff did y'all play? Um, our band. Yes. Yeah. Our band was kind of, a, it, I, w- I would say Southern rock. It was a mm-hmm. mix between, um, if I had to describe it, I mean, we were we were big Foo Fighters fans, so we liked that kind oh, of newer yeah. rock sound. But then we also, all of us, loved all the classic, you know, seventies and eighties rock. Um, so you know, when, when we would cover songs, like we'd cover Thirty Eight Special. Um, yeah. I was just listening would, today on the way back from the fishing camp, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we oh we would do. Uh, Molly Hatchet flirting with disaster. That was fun. Oh, man. Uh, we do all sorts of different things, but um, yeah. And awesome, so I played, huh? yeah, yeah. It was, it was a fun time. And I played lead guitar uh, and there was another guitar player. He's, he's a great guitar player as well. Um, but yeah. So then I was like, all right, I don't, you know, the our lead singer, he's like, I'm going to go be a country artist now. And we're like, all right, see ya. <laughs> we, none of us, we didn't really listen to, I, I mean, before I moved to Tennessee, I didn't listen to any country music. My my dad's dad is a huge country music fan, but uh, to the extent of probably the cutoff is 1972, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I mean, no no further past that. I mean, right. I, even like, like probably some of the Outlaws music he would like, but for sure not all of it. I mean, so he... Um, you know, but you know, I didn't really know much of it. My dad never listened to any of that stuff. So uh, I move up here and I start learning all this country music, playing for country artists, and um, you know, give that, me some names. I did Who'd that for a while. With? Who'd you play with? Oh, um, probably no one that you would know. I'm trying to think. I, I've worked with probably people you know as far as uh, on the recording side of things, but playing with there's like like you mentioned earlier there are so many different 
people who have that dream of moving to Nashville. I mean, right. you could you could have a full time job playing for, uh, I don't know, probably over the course of your life playing for fifty, sixty different people and make mm-hmm. a living, and you you would have never heard their name. Yeah. Um, the the I probably the only person that uh, I played for that you may know. His name's Tyler Braden. Um, I was playing for him and I remember I was playing for him. And I was like, man, this is like the only guy I've ever played for him that I'm thinking like this guy's for sure going to make it. And then, you know, four or five years after I stopped, maybe it was less than that, maybe three years uh, after that, he signed with Warner and uh, he's, he's doing pretty well right now. They just played at the arena here downtown the other day. That's crazy. Um, when you see, when you see people make it. Um, yeah. Because so we, if you know our passionate pursuit episodes, if you watch season one, episode two, there's a guy on there named Zach Williams. Yeah. And, um, it's funny because he was just like the, the worship leader. Um, yeah. and he just, he's got a, he's got a crazy backstory, dude, but we shared a blind with him. Um, and he's just a normal goofy dude. I mean, just love him. And, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden, cause he has a, you've heard him. He's got a very, very unique voice and he kind of started in the, the Southern rock. Um, I mean, if you think Greg Allman, you're pretty close yeah, to his voice and, uh, man, we talk all the time. Next time, next thing I know, Sony picks him up and he's, mm-hmm. he's all over the world. And every time I see his videos, I'm like, yeah, that dude's had my waiters on before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, uh, I, I, uh, know his, uh, guitar player, Nick, he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's gone fishing with us. So, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I've, I've never met Zach. Uh, he seems cool though. <laughs> he, uh, once, once you did, you would never, ever forget him. Um, yeah. cause he's just, uh, it's just crazy when you see someone make it and you see their videos. And I mean, it, it looks, it looks really, really cool. And you're Uh like, no, I know that dude. I I know he's not that cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. I've been behind the scenes on uh, many a video. So, Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Matter of fact, we used, um, uh, we used one of his songs, like it was his before he signed with Sony. And, um, I'm still waiting to get that knock on the door saying, Hey, you got to take that, <laughs> you got to take that song off your, I'm like, no, we don't because it was given to us before you guys owned it. So, um, but his song wash clean is just, um, that was the song that really, really got him noticed. Yeah. And, uh, I think we're one of the last people to have it on a video. So good for us. <laughs> That's cool. Good for us. <laughs> so, all right. So you're realizing that, Hey, I'm not going to be maybe this kind of what I thought isn't going to work. But so tell me how that, how your whole kind of plan evolved. Yeah. So my plan evolved by not having a plan at all. I just like, uh, I mean, honestly was shooting from the hip. Um, I mean, in the midst of, I'm playing guitar and I'm doing pretty well with that. Um, getting good gigs and getting better gigs and, um, traveling around and all of that. 
And then in the midst of that, I'm, I'm doing production stuff. And when I say production, I'm, I'm in, you know, engineering. Uh, I did a lot of early on assistant engineering for people. So, uh, you know, I assist at different studios around Nashville, um, helping the lead engineer do their thing and, or, or run, uh, the pro tools, run the computer. Um, and then doing, uh, mixing, uh, which if you're not in, in, in the music world, mixing is kind of like taking all the recorded pieces and pulling them together and making them sound good. Uh, and then, um, my, my main thing though was production. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd first call myself a producer before I called myself a mixer or, or an engineer. I mean, I can, I can do the engineer thing really well, but I enjoy the more creative side of things. Um, you know, arranging and working with a band and telling somebody, Hey, what, what if we try this? What if you, what if you play this part instead of that? Um, so I found out I was pretty good at that, you know, being in so many different bands. And a lot of times when I was in bands, I'd end up being the band leader and kind of in charge of the band, giving everybody their charts. Um, you know, so the artists, a lot of artists, like they don't, I'm sorry, artists, but a lot of artists do not know music super well. Like they, they can do their thing and they're way better at that being the, uh, persona on stage, but they don't know the music super well. And so I'm kind of like the person in, in the median of between them and talking to the band and being like, Hey, try this, do this. This is what they want translating for them. Um, so I was already doing that. And then I ended up kind of taking all those skills into the studio, um, and found out I was pretty good at it. Got into, I worked with a pop producer, uh, for a while. Uh, her name's Femka. She's from, um, the Netherlands. So I, w- I worked with her for a long time and I still occasionally work with her. Um, um, but she like taught me a bunch of stuff about just like creating things in, in the computer. Um, and so like, I, you know, I got to this point where I could like uh, somebody could come to me with a songwriting demo and I'd come and just put a whole song together. And, um, and that was kind of my thing for a while between that and playing guitar was, uh, just doing production and building songs for people, working with songwriters, doing demos, uh, doing records, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's really the creative side of it that um, it's a lot like your photography, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I I'm like definitely a creative type. I'm like I, I I'm good because of the engineering side of things. I'm I'm super analytical as far as little, little pieces and, and technical things go. Um, so I can, I kind of can live in both realms, not very well in one or the other at, at the same time. But if, if I pick one, I, I can be pretty good at uh, doing one of, one of the two. Um, right. But it's really hard to do two things at once. We can talk about that with like taking photos and hunting later, but, um, but yeah, so, um, but yeah, I was just doing that. I mean, like I, I honestly, you know, I, we always joke me and, um, my, my mentor, he, he kind of did a lot of similar things as, as I did, but, uh, we'd always talk about spinning plates and, you know, I probably for the last like 10, 15 years, I've had five, six, seven plates spinning. I've got this guitar one going, I've got this production thing mixing. I'm engineering for somebody over here. I'm, uh, traveling, doing sound or lights for, uh, 
production company. I uh, helped manage a a, uh, a venue for a while. Um, I helped manage a the production for a, a small TV show, uh, like a music show, um, for a while. So, I mean, I, I kind of had, have always had like six or seven different things going and, in, and until the last kind of two or three years, it's, you know, it's been like that. Do you like that, that chaos of like, I've got to keep all these things spinning up in the air? Maybe I, I don't know if I've, I've had the option to <laughs> see the other right. side as much as, as, as maybe I could make a good decision on that. But I think like, I mean, in the last two years, I've kind of narrowed down to, I'm doing like two things. And, um, now with the photography is three things. And so, you know, I, I'm, I've always also my minor in, in school was entrepreneurship. So <clears throat> my, my mindset is always like in this startup mode of like, Oh, what if we, we could try this? I, you know, me and right. my, I've, I've started a couple <laughs> little businesses that have, have failed as well, but my music business uh, has not yeah. <laughs> thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I guess I like the chaos. I don't know. I, I find uh, I'm the type of personality that, um, Hmm. I can have a lot of things going. Um, but I don't like to feel that um, I can't leave something just spinning and ignore it. If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to have my hands in everything. And it, it bugs me um, when you have people or, you know, relationships that um, you kind of count on to keep a plate spinning. So it doesn't hit the ground. Yep. Yep. And, um, maybe their level of passion is not what yours is. Uh, that mm-hmm. bugs me and it, I know it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I've run into that a ton with the production thing. I mean, like even with working with an artist where I'm like, Hey, you could be so much better if you, if you take these three, four five steps and it, you know, that's the most frustrating thing in the world to me. Cause you, you see like a, just a general waste of uh, talent and opportunity. Right. I mean, it's like, like you said, for sure you, you could be, or we could be here, but mm-hmm. because um, you tend to not give much of a crap <laughs> um, and you're just kind of satisfied with, uh, yeah, I know we were supposed to talk a month ago. Um, and we were going to do this, this, and this, but now you've blown me off and maybe it's just not as important. Oh no, 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 it's important. No, it's, it's yeah. really not. <laughs> um, seems to be happening a lot lately. So, um, yeah, that's it, one thing that sure. really bugs me. Yeah. That's, uh, that's honestly like, I mean, that, that kind of leads into, you know, where, where I've been for probably the last two years where I, because of even even some of the things you're describing and in the midst of several other things I've been kind of like man I don't know if I want to do this music thing forever um you know I look at I look at even even people I've worked for and um even and people I haven't worked for that are further along than I I am maybe 10 20 steps even with with family 
but especially in a career where they've, you know, they may have several Grammys and I look at their life and their lifestyle. I'm like, man, <laughs> that's not the life I want to live in, tw- in 20 years, you know? Um, and yeah. especially not in 40 years. <laughs> so, um, right. I, you know, so I've, I've been kind of in this pondering of like, what, it, you know, what does this look like for me? What do I, you know, my, one of my good friends, Grant, he's like, Hey, what kind of life do you want to live in 20 years? And what are you doing now to get there? And that freaked me out when he asked me that question. Cause I'm like, well, nothing. Um, so that has been my goal to figure out over the last few years and get slowly getting there. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah, I mean, I think what happens is, um, as you start to really refine your focus, um, mm-hmm. you start to pick out things and people that just don't belong. Um, you know, cool people, great guys, maybe, but where you see either yourself or the particular project that you're working on or, um, a company or you're like, man, this square peg, just great guy, but just does not fit in this round hole. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard thing to do to go, you know, it, it's not that I don't love you, um, but we're just on different trajectories, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's hard to uh, to cut the people out of – I shouldn't say cut them out of your life because I don't think you need to cut people out of your life. But when you start bringing your swim lanes in tighter because you're focused on a goal and you're focused on, like, this is where I feel – God is calling me things that I need to be doing. Yep. And mm-hmm. man, if, if like, if, if, if you've got different marching orders, like, bro, that's okay. Um, you know, we can still talk and be friends, but we're not working on this project cause you just, you're not part of the progress. Yep. Yep. I, I am for sure the, I'm the nice guy. I'm the yes man. I can make anything work for you. And, uh, I've, I've had to learn how to say no <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've recently had, you know, people reach out to me and ask me my rate and I'll tell my rate and I, you never hear back from them. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's so, a whole nother conversation because as, as yeah. I found out early on, um, people do not value your creativity as much as you do and your time. That's generally true. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know, we used to work, um, for different, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention it, but different outdoor companies, different manufacturers of things that you will use when you hunt. And, uh, you know, j- the bottom line is you, you can't put, um, a jacket or a decoy in the gas tank of your truck and get from point A to point B. No, no. Um, and we're like, well, I can, you know, I can do this with an iPhone, bro knock yourself out. I mean, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I'm talking about. Like, I, I love you and we'll still use your stuff. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the companies that were, was just really super, super generous to us and they do value very, very good, creative emotion stirring content is tangle free. Yeah. Um, yep. worked with them for years 
And, um, we just got to the point where, um, we were hunting just to go create content and that's cool. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it was at first, but like, <laughs> you know, we just, but, um, yeah, you, you lose the joy of the, the, why you're, you, you were even there and what you're trying to capture really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it, it, there's only, there's only so many different creative ways that you can frame decoys and you can put them in different shots and, and get different things. And, um, I don't know. I just, I felt like, um, we weren't doing it for the right reasons. I mean, we are a waterfowl ministry first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like we were kind of getting away from that for a while, you know? Uh, we mm-hmm. had just kind of lost sight of why we were doing it in the first place. So, but it sucks cutting people out that, believe me, um, that, you know, at one point you thought that we were kind of, kind of yoked the same and moving in the same direction and pulling in the same direction. I went, wait, where'd you, where'd you go? Are you, where are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you're right here now. Where are you? So. Yeah, that'll make you refine your focus and define your friends <laughs> really quickly. For sure. So where are we now? Um, so I I guess we've kind of landed in a, um, a nebulous place of I'm like in school and kind of out of school. So like I graduate, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm playing uh, guitar for different people and doing production and all of that kind of thing. And then, um, amidst that time I, I worked one of my really good friends, uh, Frank, he's, he's from, uh, he's from Southwest Arkansas. Um, and I met him through a church, uh, in Murph. Well, not even in Murfreesboro. He was in, uh, Franklin close to, or really closer to spring Hill, but I got, involved playing with him and then he started a production company and I ended up band leading for him a ton. And, um, so we, we did all sorts of different things, but, uh, one of the events we did was I, I helped him produce the, uh, Miss Arkansas pageant <laughs> of, of all things. And, um, we did all the music and everything for that. So I ended up, uh, in Arkansas a ton, um, you know, from probably 2000, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, so on. And, um, you know, we did a bunch of jobs down in hot springs with Frank and all that. But anyway, amidst that time, I, I befriended, uh, I befriended a, a girl that was singing and then we ended up dating and, uh, she was from Southeast Arkansas, just South of Stuttgart. And through that relationship, I was the first time I actually went hunting. Uh, um, I went, I was able to go duck hunt with her dad. Um, Southeast of Stuttgart. That sounds like. So well, she was South, they were South. It was cross. It was where they're from. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So my first hunt experience was down there. Um, and you know, we, we go out and we're hunting in flooded timber uh, like in a, like in a Cypress kind of slew type thing. 
and um, I've I've borrowed everything. I've borrowed <laughs> my I borrowed my dad. He had some canvas waders uh, that he used for trout fishing. Um, were not sufficient to keep me warm. Right. <laughs> and I I borrowed his eight seventy from him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, he had an old jacket that he had probably worn 20 years prior. <laughs> and so I borrow all this stuff. Um, and I go and we shoot a bunch, like we, we hunted probably two, maybe three days, at least two days. And both days were just kind of lights out hunts. And, um, I remember the first, first duck I shot was a, a Gadwall Drake. So I remember yeah. that and I remember getting that thing in my hands, looking at all these, just the intricacies of the feathers. And I was like, man, oh, yeah. I'm, I am hooked. Like, this is cool. Um, so Bro, they didn't do you any favors. <laughs> all right. Taking you, your first no. hunts were like lights out and you're like, this is easy. No, no, no. Well, they didn't help I, you out I've, at all. They, they gave me the bug and I went back to Nashville and I go and I buy me a, little sun dolphin 10 foot kayak and a dozen decoys. And I go out to the lake and, and I, and I went and bought an 870 at Bass Pro Shop and I went out to the lake and just started figuring it out. And man, I probably, it for sure took me maybe close to 10 hunts before I shot a duck. And I remember that my first public land ducks that I actually like did all the work and I get out there and I shoot and my buddy was with me that morning and it was super foggy. And then he was like, all right, I got to go to work. And he leaves. And so I'm sitting there by myself and out of the fog, two mallards just come right. I mean, like right at me straight on right <sighs> towards my decoys, set their wings and I shoot both of them. And one of them, the, the Drake was kind of crippled. And so you know, I, knowing nothing, I'm like, I should have shot him again, but I didn't know that. So I like, I go pick up the hen and I hop in my kayak and I can't see the Drake anymore because it's so, so foggy. And, uh, so I just start paddling into the fog and finally see a little head popping up on the top of the water. And I shoot him again, go pick him up. And I've got these two awesome mallards and I'm like stoked out of my mind and, um, you know, kind of progressed from there. But, uh, you know, several years go by and I'm like buying more decoys and, um, finding friends that enjoy it as well. Um, that, that was honestly the hard part. Cause like for a while it was just me and I didn't know anybody. So I was just kind of like going out and doing this thing and all of that. Um, but yeah. And then, so really that, that was kind of like the start of that start of duck hunting for me, start of hunting in general, you know, I, I fished, but that was about it. How um, long ago was that? That was in 20, I think it was 17. Oh, um, so you're fully sick now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the next season after that, so 2017, 20, 18, I think was that's that first season for me. Um, at that point I was like, all right, I love this. And then, so the next year I went out and found like a bunch of cool walk-in spots. Um, I mean like everything I was doing was limited to the kayak and really the good places to hunt here are, are the rivers 
and the the lake and and really on islands on the lake so it's like you know i'm paddling two three miles on my kayak sometimes to get out to an Mm -hmm. island and i did some dumb stuff i wore a life jacket but i mean like i'd paddle a few miles in like 80 foot deep water to get to an island where the mallards were feeding on acorns and stuff and i'd go out there and shoot some ducks um so I was, I was hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I've done um, a couple of stupid things too. So yeah, you don't, but you don't I, I never, fe- cornered on that. <laughs> yeah, I never fell out of the <laughs> kayak though. I'd, I'd pile all my decoys up on the back. Um, yeah. it probably looked like a Quasimodo kind of kayak <laughs> paddling across with my headlamp. Some, hunch, some hunchback away. paddling across the Right. <laughs> like Gollum uh, on a log or something, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that that's kind of what started it for me, and um, you know, then, um, but that was just kind of like, I don't know, I didn't really have much hobby at that point because my hobbies, music, was my only hobby really, and it had become my job, and uh, you know, so this was a, a really cool escape from that to me, and just yeah. I love the adventure. Um, you know, once I had met some friends and some other people that had been doing it for a little longer than me, uh, people who had boats, all of that sort of stuff, you know. That's the kind yeah. of dude you need to know when you're paddling everywhere. Like, find a bro with a boat. Right. I'd, Number I one. I really wish I'd tried that sooner. Um, <laughs> I, I, did, I did have a friend. He grew up hunting on real foot. Oh, yeah. And, you know. I'm, I knew him in college, really good friends. His name's Kyle. And, uh, you know, and along that time when we were in college was when duck dynasty had first started. And so, uh, you know, we'd watch all those shows and he'd talk about hunting with his dad and all this. And I was like, man, I want to go. And he'd be like, yeah, y'all come sometime. And, uh, you know, I, I, I probably could have pushed the envelope there, but, uh, you know, I was waiting for the invite and I never got the invite. So dude, um so we <laughs> hunted uh we hunted in Dyersburg with yep. uh Brett Fulcher, the guys that um the guys that make uh the you know the Cherokee sports, the Featherlight, the inflatable decoys. Mm-hmm. And and the reason we started using those is because our favorite spot in the world um is a national wildlife refuge just you know kind of in the mississippi delta yeah i can't give the name because uh, you know i'll get hate mail like what are you doing <laughs> getting? bro i've seen Don't the tell. line at the launch it's not a secret okay yeah, yeah. um but what we find people get that the, way about <laughs> places uh, here i'm like you guys it's like do, not do that many think, ducks uh, yeah well, yeah, I mean, you think that nobody knows about it when you got to go camp out in the levee to, you know, wait for 4 a.m. Like, everybody knows about it. So, right. Uh, but the reason I say that is because our best spots are a good mile and a half walk in. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not walking in water. Um, you know, you're it's dry ground until you get to the, the point in the slough where you hit the point what we called it um and you hop off and it's just like what you said like, there's some cypress but it's it's primarily tupelo gum mm-hmm. um and uh so nobody is walking back there with four dozen decoys 
but us because we deflate them yep. all and put them in a backpack, right? Yep. And then when you get out there, you just blow them up and toss them. Um, and so when you're in a, when you're a mile and a half in and you've got the biggest spread back there, and if you mm-hmm. sneeze, the decoys move. I mean, those things move with yeah. no wind whatsoever. And uh, matter of fact, I episode one of season one, that's where we filmed that. Um, and it is, dude, when it's on, it is stupid, ridiculous on. Yeah. <laughs> with green heads. Um, I love it. And, and gray ducks too, um, but mostly green heads. And uh, so I was saying we hunted in Dyersburg and, uh, but their place was right on real foot. Like, yep. And uh, that's a different kind of serious. It's like a whole culture up there. That's, I mean, and they all wear banded, like all banded in bottom land. Like it's like, yeah, you don't see any Drake. You don't see any of the other gear. We walked up there and we were wearing like sick waders and they're like, who are these chumps? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, uh, they take it very, as a matter of fact, we were there when, uh, they had that shooting and, and you remember one of the guys like got shot cause there was an argument about a blind or no, an argument about these two young kids, two younger kids were shooting this dude swing ducks. You know, they're swinging from one blind and they're you talking you know, about like one- two years ago. Yes. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Well, we were there. I read, I read this article about the whole thing that in this, have you read the article? It's, it's a reporter that interviewed, like, I mean, everybody that's alive that could have been closely connected to the whole thing. It's crazy. It, it seems like it was like more of a freak accident than anything. I I mean, like, um, yeah, maybe had dementia or something. Uh, well, yeah, it took them a while to find the dude. You remember that? Yeah. It was a, a few days before they found the guy that actually shot the kids. Yeah. Um, it was like an old man, but yep. su- supposedly he had like told his blind buddies like a few weeks before, um, that he was like, he thought he had dementia and he had told it to his wife or something. This is what I read in this article. I, I don't know if it's all exactly, exactly true, but, um, and then they interviewed the guy who, drove the kid he was hunting with the kids it was two kids and i I believe one of them worked at like final flight and um you know they were oh i didn't know that yeah i mean they were like early 20s you know yeah um yeah well it's kids to me um yeah um they were early 20s and uh it was like maybe um, this middle-aged guy um, hunting with them and uh he basically rescued them from 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 what he was saying like the the guy pulled up anyway we'll get in the in the weeds in this but from what i heard from what he said dude pulls up to their blind and then one of the the kids went out to go talk to him say like hey are you wanting to hop in the blind with us or whatever you know there's only one spot for one boat you know we'll maybe we'll go park your boat we'll come get you all that kind of thing that you mm-hmm. you work out with somebody he goes out back, it gets quiet, and then they just hear a shot. And then he goes out there, and well, well, actually, the the man, I guess he said the man got into their blind, turned back, and shot the kid out the back of the blind, off of one of the boats. And he, and then they, you know, he fell in the water. 
And then yeah, um, the the guy grabs the gun from the old man, takes it, and the guy's like pretty incoherent. Like he's not really. He's just like, oh, I don't know. And yeah. um, and then the other kid, you know, jumps in. He's trying to grab his buddy out of the water and puts him in the boat. And then um, as they're trying to get their boat out and take the other kid back to the boat ramp, call an ambulance, all that stuff. The guy gets a hold of like their old 870 that's sitting in the front of their boat that they shoot cripples with and then uh-huh. tries to sh- pull up that gun and shoot them. And he was able to pull the gun away, not get shot. And then somehow the guy ends up shooting the other kid and he bonks the guy, the old guy on the head with the shotgun. Dude falls in the water. They drive off with their boat to the boat ramp to try to save yeah. you know, these kids. And both of them died in the boat. And then they, they couldn't find the old man for at least a few days. I, I believe. Yeah. I remember that part, but that's what I understand happened. It, but they said he had dementia or something. I don't know. I had heard that it started over an argument about, you know, somebody shooting somebody else's swing ducks. That's, that's what all that's what all the Facebook pages immediately said. And you know, my buddy who grew up on Real Foot was like, Yeah, I mean I'd I'd believe it. But Oh yeah. I don't know. But it, it didn't from what they said from the first hand experience was like it wasn't an argument. The guy was like riding around on his boat back and forth on the lake and then just ended up coming over to their blind. I I don't know. It's really odd. I've um I've had some pretty heated arguments in the duck woods. Um, I've, I've never, I've never crept in and crowded anybody. Um, never shot anybody swing ducks. Uh, but I have had it happen to me. And what I can tell you is, um, the, 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 the Joey that walks in the spirit, um, occasionally (laughs) not nearly enough. Um, has been very gracious and said, look, like there's only, there's only three of us. There's plenty of, like, why don't we stop screwing each other over and you guys just come hunt with us? Um, some of the best friendships that I still have started like that. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that guys are trying to screw, like you could tell that they were trying to get close enough because bro when we get on this spot that i'm telling you about everybody wants it <laughs> it's one of those yeah, i'm sure <laughs> um it's just kind of a confluence of three different slews in a big hole in the tupelos and mm-hmm. the mallards just and it's surrounded by buck brush that's the other thing is that the best duck holes in the world have to be surrounded by by buck brush um because the place i'm talking about has got a big refuge uh feeding area that you can't hunt um and that's where the ducks will go to roost i mean you can sit on the levee um at sunset and thousands just pour in there and i got to thinking you know i've hunted this place for 20 plus years now and i got to thinking they have water they have food and nobody can shoot them why would you ever leave yeah to go fly in the woods and then I, I start seeing all the eagles' nests around this place, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. 
So they're doing, they're hitting the woods just for cover. Like anything that stays on that open, dude, any, I'm telling you, anything that stays on that open water during the day is Dunsky. I'm telling you. Um, But I've also noticed that the best duck holes, and I'm saying in this place, but I'm thinking it's probably more true just about every place else are surrounded by buckbrush because they'll hit the holes and swim off in that buckbrush and you'll never see them. Oh, I mean, within like seconds of hitting the water, they're oh, yeah. buckbrush oh. and gone. Yeah. Yeah. They're gone. <laughs> um, and like, I know enough of those holes um, and kind of how each slough connects into another. Like if we see birds kind of working to the Northeast, like, Oh, okay. That's where that other slough comes in and they got a big hole in the timber and, um, but they all have buck brush around them. And yep. that's yep. just like, you can have the cleanest patch of woods that you, like, that just looks like something out of a painting and it sucks in there. Yeah. But you find, you find something that's got buck brush around it. I bet you a hundred bucks. You go in there and just smash them. Yeah. They like to survive and be safe. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, how they're kind of wired like that, huh? Um, <laughs> but I've gotten into some pretty heated, um, heated discussions about, you know, guys racing us to the duck hole and they usually lose. Cause you know, when I put a six foot stride out there, I'm gone. Um, yeah. And you know, people want to get and, and try to, uh, you know, you got birds working, they'll take, Boom, boom, boom. Shots. Okay. Yeah. First time, maybe they were should. Second time, third time, no. And then I'm going to have a conversation with them. Um, yeah. That that kind of stuff is frustrating. Well, they're, they're just, they're lucky that they ran into the Christian me and not the heathen me. <laughs> because, yeah, an MMA fight would have broken out, you know, would have ensued quickly. But yeah. you're you're lucky. Like, how pressured are the public grounds where you hunt now? Surprisingly, very pressured. <laughs> like, they're really? like, I mean, if the weather's real good, um, yeah. I mean, back back. I know back in the nineties, um, one of the lakes near us, Old Hickory Lake, was like people would smack dogs. I mean, like. I've seen pictures of, I mean, it looks like people are, you know, in West Tennessee. So, mm-hmm. but it seems, uh, for one reason or another, uh, I don't know that there's less birds or they're more concentrated in certain areas. I mean, the refuge system has changed a little bit. Um, the, another lake near us that, that I hunt a lot is Percy priest and, that used to have duck blinds on it. That used to have a refuge on it as well. That's no longer there. So a lot of things have changed over over time, and the birds have just kind of developed different patterns. I mean, there's still still some similar patterns, but I mean, we get loads of birds, but they pretty much do the same thing every time unless there's good weather. Um, yeah. So, you know, good but, weather. I mean, it's crazy weather. Right. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> good, good weather. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. So we have the arts, the way our public land is, we have several different WMAs near us that have public draw blinds. And so you can, you put your name in a hat for one of these blinds and you can get it the, the, up until like a year or two ago, you'd get it for the whole season and you'd have to go maintain oh, really? the blind and make sure it's there, but you'd get it for the whole season. And a lot of them have food in them. They'll have corn or millet. Um, wow. you know, some of them are river blinds. It, it just kind of depends. Um, <clears throat> but if the owner of that blind, the card holder is what they call them. If the owner of that mm-hmm. blind is not in there, uh, by 30 minutes, before by shooting light, basically, uh, anybody can hunt that blind. And so Mm. people do this hop in a blind kind of thing, which is, you know, people do it out on real foot, which causes arguments and people think they own a blind that they used to, maybe their family used to own and whatever, but near us, there's really a ton of blind hopping. I mean, I'll, I'll get out there sometimes during the week. I mean, you know, on a, on a Monday, Tuesday morning, get out there. I'm the first boat in the water, ride down the way I get to the blind I want. And within like an hour, two or three other boats are trying to hop into the blind that I'm trying to hop in. And I'm just praying like 30 minutes before shooting light that the owner of the blind doesn't show up and kick me out. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's right. I, but I, I don't hunt those blinds a ton only if I know that birds are used in the area. And I had, you know, sometimes I, I, I know a lot of guys who hunt in the area now. So if I know they have a blind, I'll be like, Hey, are you guys hunting this day? So I know I don't have any competition if they're not hunting and I'll go out there and go to the blind. But most of the time I prefer hunting on the lakes where I can go to where the ducks want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the thing with the blind thing is like, you have to be in a blind. So if the ducks are landing 150 yards away from your blind, you got, you can't move. You ha- it just sucks. <laughs> you could watch a hundred birds land right over there and you can't go over there. Um, even if it is state property. So I, I don't really go out there, but, uh, I, a lot of the places I hunt, I ended up being less pressure because everybody in this area thinks the only place I can kill a duck is in a blind because that's the way that it's always been done for the last 20, 30 years. And that's what their dad taught them. So that's what they do. And so we've had a lot more success, um, you know, running and gunning and going to different spots and setting decoys and leaving and seeing where the birds yeah. went, learning from what we did yesterday, all that That's sort of thing. The, that is the, I was going to ask you about scouting, but that yeah. is like, we have killed ducks in some really, really weird places, like places where we've <laughs> yeah. never killed ducks before. For sure. Um, and it's just because, like, I'm big on scouting. Like, I will rarely hunt the same place twice. Like, yeah. you know, one day and then go back and hunt it the next day. And it's because we will hunt until either, you know, you, the refuge that I hunt, you got to be out by noon. Well, you, you have to, you can't hunt past noon. You can be in there all day. Okay. Um, but your decoys have to be picked up. And um, so when we finish... Like it's time for me to go scout. And if I've seen birds, um, work a different patch of the slough, if I've seen birds using another, so like I'll go find where they are, um, yep. and then find the easiest, quickest way to get to them. Um, 
and that's some of my favorite hunts is because everybody knows where the hot spots are. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's not an inch of ground in there that you would consider a hot spot or a honey hole that you're the only one that knows about it. Right. Um, but I've found birds in some really, really weird places that just, I, I know nobody hunts. And so it makes it a little yep. bit easier because then you don't have to race the next morning. Like it's, and we've even toyed with the idea of instead of trying to be the first ones in in the morning, um, you know, get there, start to walk in about eight thirty, nine o'clock. Uh-huh. And when everybody's coming out and a lot of times you can set up in some places and people coming out either in their boats or on the four wheelers, whatever, they'll bump birds and, you can uh you can get them that way too uh because i think i think ducks are just not used to being shot at here in particular past like 10 30 11 o'clock oh for sure so i mean i know i know there's a handful of guys i know that hunt those blinds that i was talking about and they don't put their boat in the water till 9 30 and everybody leaves by 10 if nothing's happened and they'll go to some of these food Mm -hmm. plots and shoot limits and leave and no one no, no one even knew it happened because yeah they they were all you know at work or back at home trying to warm up and all that right 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 um do you scout a bunch a lot yeah, yeah. and i mean this year we so last season i i would say like we kind of figured out our area uh, me and i hunt with my friend uh, ben a lot and so him and i we spent a lot of time hunting together and we kind of just figured out this lake where we're like all right we can go out and we're gonna kill some birds like very rarely would we get skunked at this point so this 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 past year we had so much rain that i mean like everything was flooded uh i i would say like probably three or four times throughout um the season was everything just hard, flooded. Man. And That's so hard. the birds were spread out and we were forced to, I mean, I, I can probably count on one hand hunting places that I did the previous season. I mean, we hunted all new places. Um, and we learned a lot of new things too, um, about, about the lake. And we met some old guys who used to knew, know where the refuge used to be and all this kind of stuff. So, um, but anyway, like, I mean, we we had a killer teal season that early season we've we've got like basically a, a week here uh you can shoot teal half a week you can shoot wood duck um we we had a, a couple like crazy days and everybody that i talked to no one shot at all they might have shot some wood ducks trying to shoot them on the roost or something that was it and we did really good with teal um and then coming into the the main season, I mean, like all of our spots, like there weren't birds because they were somewhere else. And we ended up hunting a lot of new places, hunting on the river a lot, finding flooded timber that doesn't normally exist. Um, yeah, birds like that new water stuff, man. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I we even found, I remember specifically one day, we had done pretty well in this one spot. We had shot some teal. Um, this was in January. So it's like, we're shooting teal in January and, yeah. um, we, 
you know, we get to the point, it's like 10 and we're like, all right, let's go look around and see what we find. And we end up on this, this island. And I knew that the island had like a low spot in it. Well, there's one pond on the island that I knew, like I always see wood ducks in there. So I was like, maybe let's go jump, shoot a bird. Because <laughs> we're like, let's just do something. You know, we're bored. Right. So we go up there and there's no, nothing on that pond. And so we go around and I'm like, well, there's this low spot on the island. Let's go, you know, sneak up in this low spot. And uh, we get in there and I've, in the years past, I've, you know, I've seen it from satellite footage. I've seen that there's water in there, but I've never been back there and there's water in there. And so I've mm-hmm. always just kind of wrote it off. Well, we go back there and like, I see like a little bit of movement on the water and we get probably within like a hundred yards of, of the pond and it just erupts just, mm. I don't know, a couple dozen teal, a bunch of mallards, wood ducks, yeah. everything just flushes off. And I'm like, well, I know where we're hunting in the morning. That's <laughs> and we, right. We sat up down there and we had a good time. I mean, it was like crazy. I mean, wood ducks just, you know, zipping down from, I mean, the, the tops of the trees are probably, I would say, I don't know, 80, 85 yards high because it's down in this hill. So it's like really tall trees. And the hole is only maybe 80 yards long. So it's not in, in, in probably about 40 yards wide. So like if bird comes in there, like you got a shot. Right. And man, the way they were dropping in there was just nuts. I mean, even the teal like dropping from sky high, down i mean it's crazy (laughs) yeah i tell you the the best part of that is when you find that like if you can find it and not bust them out um like that's the way i prefer to scout um because i i know guys that hunt the area that i'm talking about just scout yeah do you so oh yeah we saw a bunch of them did you shoot at them oh yeah yeah how many did you how many did you see oh you know easily a couple hundred did you shoot at them oh yeah Okay. Well, they ain't coming back. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you get any? Yeah, we. Oh, we we hit one, but it sailed down. Okay, so you <clears> basically <throat> burnt that spot up. But yeah, the best yeah. thing is, is when you can find them and just back out and leave them. Um, a couple of things. You know that you don't have to race anybody to get there because if they're sitting on the water, there was nobody there. Yeah, okay? for sure. Um, and you also know that you're not going to sleep very well that night <laughs> because you're thinking about the beat down that's fixing to happen in 12 hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah we know those we, feelings well. A lot of duck hunters look at us like we're crazy, but I mean like I, a lot of times I'm carrying a chest harness with binoculars all the time when we're hunting, because it's like, especially on the lake, always yeah. being able to just pull up and look and be able to see something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never know, you never know where they're going to be, especially when the, the water levels have changed so much. So being able to yeah. have binoculars and look and not bust something out because, you know, being able to see something a couple hundred yards away, you might see there's like 80 birds on the water that you wouldn't know until you yeah. bust them out of there. Like you're talking about so, now. Yeah. Um, so that's your home water. Um, have you been able to get out and, and here's the thing. I think what's happened. Uh, I hunted Stuttgart a lot and I've noticed the last, 
man, 15, almost 20 years. It's just not what it used to be. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that places that never used to be much like Kansas, Oklahoma, North Texas, like along the Trinity river, um, like they're killing birds there now off the chain, killing birds. And I yep. think the flyway has shifted some, like I'm in South Louisiana and South Louisiana used to be like, we're at the bottom of the funnel, bro. You know, and yep. we don't have the habitat anymore. A lot of our habitat that <clears> used to be fresh is now brackish or even salt just because we lose I think the average, and this is an average, um, like over a you know a five year average due to hurricanes and things like that. Like we lose a football field size area of land every hour in South Louisiana, it's crazy from coastal erosion. Yeah, and so I, I mean I know I've had blinds that were kind of on the edge of the marsh, the edge of the Biloxi Marsh, that are like in the Mississippi Sound now because. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. I mean, there's, um, and so we're getting a lot more salt water further into the interior estuary, the interior marsh, that it doesn't hold the coontail grass anymore. It doesn't hold a lot of the, the wild millet and wild celery that used to grow that, dude, you want to talk mm -hmm. about seeing teal do some stupid stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just don't have it anymore. And yeah. Matt, I'm telling you, it's been probably five years since I've really focused on trying to hunt my home state. Um, it's we just we don't hold the birds like we used to. Now Venice down at the mouth of the river, you can still blow the teal up. You can still just smash pintail um, if the weather's right. And in the southwestern part of the state where it's mostly ag and rice fields, where it's controlled water, like controlled food. You, yep. They still do really well. They still do really well on speckle <clears throat> bellies, um, snow geese, um, ton of gadwall, ton of widgeon, ton of teal, few mallards every now and then. But where I am, just north of New Orleans, um, that whole big Biloxi marsh that just did, uh, you know, used to hold – widgeon and gray duck and mallard and teal like crazy uh unless you're out there when the when a front's coming through under a major migration it just you know and there's some spots that are still far enough inland that uh i've got one of my buddies who puts everything that he does like by the you know hourly posts on facebook like, hey, just walked to the refrigerator and made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And <laughs> um, I think this last year he probably killed 400 birds. Uh -huh. um, and that's, you know, it may sound like a big number. That's that's a decent, decent number. But, I mean, I remember when um, my lease in the Biloxi Marsh and, like, Hopedale Delacroix, like, I'm talking about 2000 bird seasons and yeah. you just don't, you just don't see them anymore. You don't yeah. see them. I've heard, I've heard the same about West Tennessee. A lot of people hunting out there and in Mississippi having like the same exact issue like you're talking about. Well, you know, so there's that. And I think that, um, the, 
refuge system, like there's more ground in refuge and sanctuaries than there ever has been before. There's more places where ducks can go and eat and loaf and not worry about getting shot at than there ever has been. And so it doesn't take long for ducks to imprint on that to where they know where they can go and not be harassed. Right. Um, and I just don't think you can have as many refuges as you have now, um, and still have the same number of hunters and still sell the same number of duck stamps to pay for all that. It it doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, it's crazy. I'm not big on the, you know, the short stopping thing. I mean, do they short stop ducks? Uh, Probably. Is it some conspiracy where it's like the second civil war North versus South, like there are birds and we don't want them to go (laughs) South. I doubt it. Um, but the flyways have definitely shifted. Uh, I know Arkansas has felt it and I know for sure that Louise, I myself have seen it. Um, and so I'm wondering, have you gotten outside of, of Tennessee and been able to hunt some other cool places? Yeah. So last year I went, uh, on a trip to Oklahoma. We've got some friends out there that have started a, a guide service out there. And, um, you know, so we went with a crew, um, some of the guys from, if you're familiar with more than a calling. Oh yeah. Um, I know Cody very well. Yeah. So, um, Cody, Cody. (laughs) (laughs) Cody, unfortunately couldn't make it, but, um, a bunch of the other guys were there and we, we hunted two, two days out there and, you know, farm pond. And then the, in the afternoon after the farm pond, we went out to uh, a dry field to go shoot geese. That's what these guys are all about. They're all about shooting geese. And I like, I like to shoot at a goose, but like, I like to kill ducks. Mm-hmm. Ducks are just like more mm-hmm. fun to me. And it's like, I'm not writing off the goose thing. It's super cool. Right. But it just right. doesn't scratch the itch for me. We get out to this dry field and like, there's groups of like 40, 50 ducks landing in our field. And they're like worried about these geese up here that are maybe kind of interested in what we're doing. I'm like, let's shoot the ducks. Like there's right. let's shoot the ducks. Um, so it was, a, it was a funny, funny experience. Um, there was one spec, like I was the only one there with a spec call. So I'm calling the spec and we've got this one single spec circling us and they never called the shot. They're like, Hey man, somebody should have shot that <laughs> five minutes. Oh, how later. many times has that been said in a blind? Yeah. Um, I was trying to be respectful, <laughs> but next it. time I, uh, I'm going to take the shot. Have um, you, uh, have you been able to shoot ducks? And so did y'all shoot ducks in a dry field? Uh huh. Yeah. Dude, it was awesome. That is a, that's almost like a life changing experience, man. Shooting ducks. It's in a dry so field. different. It's yeah. like the birds, they, they are, they act very different. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, but it's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I would like to go do it again. I don't think there is where there is like, like skittish or spooky in a dry field as they are uh, in water or land. In for a sure not. Maybe, maybe cause they can see everything better. 
uh, I do know that your concealment is king. So get you some tangle free ghost blinds or panel blinds. Yeah. I mean, having a good brush, if you've got a good brushed in blind, like you do pretty good. Honestly, the geese seem more wary of the, the uh, layout blinds sometimes than the, than the ducks would. I mean, they just, I don't know if what, what the deal is, but they for sure would just commit. Dude, I'm t- I used to think like you can have like in a wheat field where wheat is like maybe two inches high, like barely covering your ankle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think that the better strategy was to get low in layouts. Um, and guys that we hunt with in Kansas, um, Ronnie Condo, like they swear by A-frames. And I'm like, but it just – like there's there's a profile i mean it just it sticks out he goes dude i'm telling you if it's brushed they don't care yeah i'm like all right you know y'all y'all are the boss dude they weren't lying i mean if it's brushed you are good to go and shooting them in a dry field is like killer we've got some friends in dyers dyersburg and they're talking about build they're like you guys need to build a boat blind i'm like what do you, what am I just going to go set my boat blind up like in the middle of nowhere? He's like, dude, yep. if it's brushed in good, like you set it up and you put some decoys out and there's some ducks and you can be where close to where they want to be, you will do very well. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. You, you've said it twice now where the ducks want to be. Um, yeah. That's the first part of it. That's the most, you can get away with a lot of garbage. If you're where they want to uh, be in uh, the first place, you can get away with a lot. You can yeah. be the worst caller. And um, be still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think um, the I think the mojos work better in a dry field now. Oh, for sure. On water. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just there's not that many people hunting mallards in dry fields. Um, but, like, when I use any kind of motion – First, I hate anything with a battery because guess what's going to happen, Joey? All right. At the worst possible time. But when we do use motion, like I'm a jerk string guy all day. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when we do use spinners, like I'll put them underneath buck brush. I'll put them behind trees. Uh, just like I don't put it right out in the open where if they're circling, they can just watch that thing 360 degrees. And I think right. it freaks them out. Yeah. But if you put it behind a tree or under some buck brush where they just get a quick glimpse of it when they're on the corners or circling, I've yeah. had a lot more success with that. Almost like you're trying to hide it from them. Uh huh. That, that's, yeah, the they mindset. just see a little flash here and there instead of that that's constant. Right. That's yeah. right. And then we kick water like outboard motors. So, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah. We I I do the same thing with the mojo. We we use a we do use a lot of those little butt splashers, either hidden oh, yeah. or um, the pulsators. Or the, uh, lifetime, yeah, not lifetime. Uh, um, the pulsator. Who makes that? It's uh, Higdon. No, Higdon what's makes what's the, the other one? I can't remember the other other company. Lucky Duck. Lucky Duck yeah. makes the other. Uh, the other one. Well, the pulsator is one that it's got trains. the little uh, the bilge pump motor under it. Yeah, yeah. It's on a timer, right? So yeah, um, 
I got introduced to those by a dude in North Mississippi. His name's Dave Bowen, uh, Southwoods Duck Club. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I try to make at least one hunt with him every year because he hunts on Beaver Dam Lake. And if you know the the history of duck hunting, like Nash Buckingham, that was his place, Beaver Dam Lake. And uh-huh. um, those things, I've never seen birds try to land on top of something like they will a pulsator. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, you just, you have to see it. And when he's got a big spread out in front of his 24 foot floating blind with the couches and the lazy boy in it in the kitchen off to one side and he's making breakfast, um, he's got a big spread with like seven or eight of those pulsators. Yeah. Forget it. The game's over. I'm telling you. Yeah. I, I mean, in general, I think with motion, like the more, the better. If you have just one mojo, I'd, I'd rather most of the time, unless it's like teal season, I'd rather not have one out. I'd rather have like right. four out. And even when yeah. we went to real foot, we were, we were talking to some of the guys that guided and they said, take like all your motion and set it up all together. Like it's like a group of ducks coming into land and set it up that way. And, and, and not maybe not even exactly where you want the birds to land. Um, but it was, much we were we were much more successful when we have that all like more motion even if it is a bunch of mojos um, yeah or, or something similar the uh have you heard of the wind whacker decoy uh-uh it's like i just heard about it from um a guy on instagram i saw it in a story and i was like what the heck is this it's like a, a wind powered you know, flasher kind of thing. It's, you know, maybe about a foot long, four or five inches wide, and it's just wind powered and it spins. And he said he puts one on the end of his spread and one on the other end of his spread and just lets the wind blow him. And he says, it's like incredible. So I bought, I bought one. I'm going to try it this year, but. Well, I do know you just touched on something. Like you said, don't put them necessarily where you want the ducks to land. Um, Yeah. I think a big mistake I've walked by and boated by a bunch of spreads in the timber. Right. And I see a lot of guys, like I see a lot of guys loading up the hole where they want the birds to land. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge mistake. Like we, I will use decoys as blockers. Like if we're on kind of a long, um, a long hole in the woods. Yeah. Uh, and we're hunting one end, I'll load the other end up with decoys because I don't want them to land there. Um, yep. you, I, I've, I've had a lot of success putting decoys where I don't want them. To, and there's always going to be one stupid one that lands on top of a decoy. And if he does that, he needs to die anyway. Um, <laughs> but I will tend to use decoys and fill up parts of the hole where I don't necessarily want them to land to where the only open water is right in front of my retay or my Benelli. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's where I want. No, I, that's, that's a super good, good tip. Cause like, I, honestly, like even when we're hunting the open water on the lakes, like a lot of times we'll set a decoy spread. You know, we, we usually don't hunt with more than like two dozen decoys out there anyway, cause it's just right. not that many birds, but we'll, we'll set our spread, you know, 40, 50 yards past where we're sitting and then put yeah. like a handful of birds kind of right in front of us. 
where we want the birds to depending on where the wind is or or, yeah right but we'll i mean so many times if when we would set like what we thought as a traditional setup we'll set this up set with the wind and the birds would short stop us they'd land you know 60 70 yards out but when we moved our decoys down and sat where we wanted them to land worked a lot better (laughs) yeah that's you gotta it's the same with calling like the birds are going to do something different almost every single day right Mm -hmm. and so if you've got decoys off say 20 yards to your right and you have a um a right to left wind blowing so you set your decoys upwind and if they're short stopping you by 40 yards get off your ass and move those decoys over about 40 yards. Um, I am, I've been accused of having OCD or ACD (laughs) or ABC or whatever you want to call it, because if birds don't finish, um, I got to go move something like, you know, there's a reason that those, that six pack didn't land, right? Uh They, you know, well, because in my mind, they should all land. Like yeah. I'm, I'm that ate up with it. Um, <laughs> in my mind, they should all land and so, they didn't like something because if they liked everything, they would be on the strap right now. Right. So I always have to, and I know it frustrates people, but I just can't help it. Something has to change or the next group's going to do the same thing. And then the yeah. next, and then the next thing, you know, the hunt's over and you know, there's uh, you're starting the shoulda. <laughs> yeah every sentence you know, starts with shoulda yeah two six pack and a 12 pack that should have landed and they didn't we didn't get any of them so where do you want to hunt next like if you had to like hey man i really want to go where uh uh i mean i i do talk I, i've never shot a pintail and i hear these california guys talking about like ah pintails they shoot their one pintail and they're like Trying not to shoot. <laughs> I can't so believe like, I, you just said that because <laughs> um, I recorded uh, an episode with a buddy of mine, Gerard Massey, who lives in California. He's uh-huh. Pakistani. All right, he's a pa- he's a Pakistani Christian duck hunter living in California. Um, <laughs> hunts San Jacinto, and I think I'm going out there this year. You ought to come. Really? Yeah, that'd be cool. You ought to come with. I would love that. I, I, the closest I'm going to get this year is to Idaho, but they don't, they don't have, I don't think they have nearly as many pintails as California. California's (laughs) got, I tell you what else they got a bunch of them, dude, the mouth of the river in Venice, Louisiana. Yeah. But, uh, God, I hate that river. I hate getting in the river, dude. (laughs) It's just, it's big. It's, and I know guys are listening going, Oh, you know, wimp or whatever. I've had way too many close calls on the Mississippi river. It gets, it can get sketchy really quickly. Well, here's the thing about it. Um, you don't hunt like you don't hunt by the clock. Like, Oh, we got to be out there at You hunt by the tides. Yeah. So a lot of times you can be going down there at 11 o'clock in the morning because high tides at one o'clock. And that we do have a lot of fresh water in the Mississippi River. So um, a lot of the duck potato and ducks and, and wild celery and tubers and things like that, they can get to it when the tide's high. 
The problem with that is you can have a fog roll in from the Gulf of Mexico at like three o'clock and you're done. You can't find your way yeah. back to the marina. Um, but there's a lot of big boat traffic, like, you know, crew boats and work big, boats and yeah. things like that, that, that just, and there's big stuff that floats down. I mean, trees and I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that you can die on the Mississippi river. And I'm not keen to any of them. No, if I'm hunting the river, I'm always going with someone else for sure. Like yeah. I, I do a lot of solo hunts, but I, I'm like, I don't know. I've had too many times where I'm in a boat with someone else and we'll hit like a log or something. And I'm like, man, if I hit this and like launch myself out, like, yeah. And I was all alone. It's like likely over. <laughs> right. Right. Um, um I, I've got a couple of, I have a couple of friends that I know that know that river. Well, um, mm-hmm. we could put that trip together. Yeah, that's that not far. Be, that's not far for me. No, it's even closer for me, bro. Um, <laughs> but that's that's yeah. a deal. Like we'll we'll go we'll go fish until it's time to shoot a bunch of ducks. Venice is great, man. That's my kind of day. <laughs> oh yeah, you can still like you can still do that in Biloxi Marsh, like where my camp is. Um, I've I've got a camp right on the border of. Biloxi Marsh WMA mm-hmm. and it's huge. Uh, but it's like, we'll take the bay boat and figure out kind of where they're, where they're feeding, where they want, when there's ducks. Um, and then we'll just take the P rows in and paddle in like, you know, kayaks or P rows. You just take them in. Right. Um, and when you're finished hunting, then you just go catch redfish and trout. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there's absolutely zero wrong with that plan. There's nothing Spe- wrong with speckled that. trout. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my dude. That's where my brain short circuits when like the big <laughs> trout are biting right now. Um, yeah. and I just I can't think of anything else. Yeah, I've never I've never done speckled trout. My my buddy Ben's all into it. He's from North dude, Carolina. Bring him down. My boat's there. I got a 21 foot Kenner. Um, bring him down. Like seriously when as soon as you can because they're biting right okay. now um like bring them down we'll stay at the camp um we'll go catch a bunch of trout we'll ride around biloxi marsh i'll show you what i'm talking about um and i got a camp down there so we don't have to worry about you know where are we going to stay so yeah it's awesome I'm about it it's awesome i want to take you um i'm gonna go back to kansas this year um, yeah, I got some really good friends in Kansas. Like if you follow duck wild waterfowl on Instagram, uh, Travis site is just, uh, dude, if there's a better person on the planet, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he's always got a spot for me and, uh, like he just, he's building his second lodge. So he's an outfitter. He's building his second lodge there and he has every duck hole in a three county area on lockdown. Wow. Wherever they are, he can get on them. And it's awesome. That's a good position to be in. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good place to be in. Um, so through this whole thing, you talked a lot about, um, 
Well, let's let's talk about this. So, of the field, that's your Instagram page. Yeah. What is where'd you get the name from? What was your thought process behind that? Yeah. So basically, my so I've been on Instagram since its creation, um, and my other account was more focused on music and um, really to me, it was like a work account. You know, it's like, I, it was more of a resume for what I was doing and what, who I'd worked with whatever. And, um, and also like just thinking about everybody that follows me, I figured they didn't want to see a bunch of pictures of dead ducks on on their uh, feed. So I, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to create another account. So I, I created another account. And, um, I forget what it was called. I mean, it was like some stupid cheesy name about like Nashville and ducks or something. You've even forgotten about it. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I don't want to remember cause I know it was so stupid. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of like threw up some photos of, you know, different fun hunts with some of my buddies just taken with iPhone, you know, and, um, yeah. just to, you know, put it out there and, um, and then I, uh, and then when I, when I bought my, uh, first, uh, DSLR, I was like, all right, I'm going to change this name. <laughs> and so, you right. know, my, my, what hunting has been for me, it's been really like a personal transformation, um, just of kind of how I go about a lot of things. And, um, for my faith, um, what time alone with God looks like all of that. And it's, it's really just, it's, it's done a work in me. Uh, it's been an an avenue for, for that work, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, when I was trying to come up with a name of like, you know, what do I want to call, uh, this page or what do I want my handle to be or whatever? I was like, well, I wanted to represent this thing and, you know, everybody and their brothers done like rise, kill, eat, you know, it's like the fame, like uh, if anybody's going to talk about hunting and a Bible verse, they want to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. And, um, which, which is a, a cool verse, but it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> it has a little bit to do with, with that, but like, honestly, in the context of yeah. it all, it's like, no, like that's not what he's right. talking about. But anyway, he's talking about Gentiles now as well. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So, He's like, you can eat anything you want. But so I, you know, for me, I was like, okay, well, what does that look like, this transformation for me? And then so I was reading, um, you know, the story of Jacob and Esau and it, the way it describes, um, the way it describes Esau, you know, he, he kind of screwed things up for himself. You know, he lost his birthright, sold his birthright to his brother, Mm -hmm. but the way it's mm-hmm. describing him and, you know, he was kind of the favored son and all of that. But the way it's describing him is he's this, he's this hunter. He's skilled with a bow. He, he's a man of the field. He goes out uh, and his, his father, he makes his father happy. He, he goes and he harvests and brings him back and uh, brings him back a meal. Like that's like the whole story. So, or what yeah. was, what he, you know, was asked at least. Um Right. Didn't, that's not how it played out, but, um, yeah, right. but anyway, so I, I, I remember like I was reading through that story and I saw that of the field and I was like, yeah, I mean like that encompasses to me, like 
this work that's kind of been, been done in me of like, I've, I've transformed really from, uh, this kind of city boy suburb of Atlanta kid who just likes to skateboard and play guitar, um, to like, man, like I, I've got a freezer full of food and like, you know, if we couldn't go to the grocery store, I've got, got all the meat we need, you know? And so Mm -hmm. like, there's been this really transformation, you know, just physically in the way that I kind of live life, but, you know, even from my faith and on. So I was like, I want this, you know, for me, the whole thing about the account was like, if I'm taking photos, why am I doing this? Like, I don't care about being famous. I don't care about, um, you know, getting a following or anything like that. The the goal of, of the account for me was like, all right, I'm going to show pictures of these things that like, I didn't know about, you know, I didn't experience these things. I didn't know anything about hunting just a few years before. And now it's transformed my life. And you know, who, who else might be like me who had no idea. And I just want that, you know, them to see something, see something that intrigues them, see something that maybe inspires them to try something new, whether they want to try photography or maybe they want to go hunt or maybe they just like end up, I have so many conversations with people where they're asking me like, Hey, tell me about hunting. Like, why do you like to, you know, and they have no concept of what it's about or, you know, I tell them what time I get up. I asked this guy, I was like, you want to go fish with me? He's like, yeah. And I was like, all right. He's like, what time do I need to meet you? And I was like, well, the sun rises at five and I think we should be on the water at five and it's an hour drive to get to the water. And he's like, you're serious. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, you know, and I was like, that's not that early compared to, <laughs> but I, I didn't go there with him. But, no. you know, so for me, you know, to answer your question, like the whole thing about it, the, where that name came from is like, man, I want like, for me, I've, I've kind of become this man of the field. And even, um, you know, I, I know people now who never knew me before. They just kind of like know this, this me now. And really it's gone this, gone through this transformation of how the Lord's really, um, given me really, uh, an outlet, uh, for this adventure thing that I, I really didn't get to experience. Maybe like a lot of people do when they're kids, where their dad will take them out hunting and all of this. Um, so I get yeah. this adventure thing that's like super cool. And then I also really needed to learn how to rest. And then like all of that taught me how to rest. I mean, like even I'd go out and hunt and I feel this whole pressure where I'm the guy that knows what's going on. So I have to make sure everybody else has a good hunt. And so yeah. if it sucks, it's exhausting. like I suck. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's like the, you know, it, it sounds like ridiculous, but that's how, how you kind of feel. You're, All you're right. responsible for this thing. So, um, I ended up like, I'd end up, I really needed to learn how to rest and the Lord's like takes me out and I'm like, I'll go out and, and hunt, but really I'm just sitting by the lake, you know, hanging out by myself and praying or, yeah. you know, working on the scripture memory verse, um, just sitting there hanging out with the Lord and being close and being quiet. That's yeah, man. That's um, when I saw that you've got Romans one twenty, right. Yeah. On your page. Um, so, you know, I, I speak at a lot of wild game dinners and, and, you know, men's type uh, 
ministry things at different churches all over the place. They, they need a speaker, they need entertainment, whatever. So, um, they'll ask me to speak in Romans one twenty is one that I always refer to. Tell me what it yep. means to you. And then I'll kind of fill you in on how I use that when we, when we speak. Yeah. Well, so for me, I mean, like, I, I think when I read that scripture, you know, it, it basically the whole idea is like there, when people see what the Lord, what he's created, what the creator has built, they're, they're without excuse, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the gist of the verse. And yep. I remember the first time I saw like <clears throat> a Drake wood duck up close and even like thinking back to that first duck, that gadwall that I was talking about earlier, yeah. just the intricacies of these feathers and the detail and the the patterns. I mean, I look at that and I go, how in the world could this happen by chance? And um, I'm like, give me somebody who doesn't believe and let me show them this and like, let's, let's have a serious conversation. You know, that's, that's kind right. of like where, how I feel about it, you know? And I wouldn't, I would never be that intense. I think if I was talking to somebody who, but like that, that that's the passion behind it for me is like, um, you know, I think like when people experience this, even within hunting, experiencing these adventures, seeing these places, getting out of their comfort zone, doing something that's not super safe, doing something that they don't know where they don't. Cause like, especially in America, we're so in charge of our lives. We, we control almost everything. And if we don't have control of it, we freak out. And so now here you're putting yourself in a scenario where if, especially if, if you're the newbie, you, you know, nothing, you're trusting somebody else and it's cold and I don't want to fall in the water. Like, you know, the list goes on and it just puts you in this place of like, all right, I'm not in control. And then it sets your mind in this different spot. And then you see the sun come up and you see the birds. I mean, it's just like all of it put together. Really. It's just like, man, this is, this is a big setup. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I will inevitably say, uh, we've all hunted with someone that, you know, and I've heard people that I didn't, based on what they said the night before in camp, didn't necessarily, I wouldn't have put the believer tag on them, right? Yeah. Um, but we head out into the swamp. It's it's black, it's cold, it's scary, Um void of any kind of life other than the glowing eyes on the trail behind you that you really just don't know what they are. So you keep moving. Um, <laughs> yeah. but then like you, the sky starts to turn a little purple, you know, and starts to get a little more light and the sun will eventually start to paint the, the, the tops of the trees. Right. And then slowly mm-hmm. you start to get life and light and then it's abundant and then it's all around you. And then you have mallards circling overhead and their heads light up with, you know, green with the sunlight hitting them. And people will inevitably say, how can you look at that and say that there's no God? And yeah. I said, well, if you read Romans 20, 
it says you can't yeah say that um you have you you have all the evidence that you need in front of you um there's uh there's no excuse right i mean genesis 1 proclaims it in the beginning god created romans 120 confirms it um that once yep. you've seen it you have no excuse now um i didn't write it don't be mad at me you know but that's that's <laughs> what it says yeah. um another one that i go to dang near every morning um is and i'm sure you've seen it and if you're a duck hunter maybe you don't know scripture i'm about to lay some on you um i'm gonna you've seen that you've go ahead (laughs) is it psalm 19 no no okay we'll talk about that next then (laughs) yeah um but you've like you've put the decoys out we're just waiting for shooting time right and you can see the stars and when there's no light pollution, like you can see the Milky way. Yeah. Yeah. And how enormous eternity is. Like Uh it just, your brain, your brain can't fathom it. And I would think, how does a God that put every star in place and knows them by name, Scripture says, knows them by name, calls them all by name. How does he put that there, but yet he even knows that I'm here standing at the foot of this tree, and why does he even care about me, right? Yeah. And so. It's crazy. You read Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, and it says, when I consider the works of your fingers, the moon and stars that you've put in place, what is man that you consider him? Yeah. And I'm like. I am experiencing scripture right now that those were some of the verses dude that, cause I was saved in the swamp. Um, yeah. those are some of the verses that just, uh, you know, I get it now, Lord. I mean, when I look yeah. up and I see this and I, I know that you're there because you put this all in place for me so that I would, like we, we have the same heart as God. We're it's, it says we are mm-hmm. created in his image. And the reason that we love those things is because he loves those things. I mean, he created this yep. wild place and then called it good. <laughs> yep. You know, and I just think, God, like I am in such fellowship with Jesus when I'm at the foot of a tree, just drinking it in, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, Talk I, about I think your that's Psalm 19 like, reference. Oh yeah. Well, the, I mean, just like what you were saying, I, he created it, called it good. And, and like even the purpose of him creating it all was, you know, for one, it's like his, his pleasure to like have this place and this thing. It's fun to him. And then to bring us into that, to have family to share it. And, and then, you know, so like, then what, what can the heavens even do to like, what do they do? And so Psalm 19, one, this is what I, what I was even like, after what you were saying, just it, it all builds off of that, of like all of those little pieces that the heavens declare the glory of God in the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so like, every time I see like that sunrise, uh, I, I think of that verse of, 
man, like the heavens, they declare the glory of God. As this sun is like painting the sky, like you were talking about, hitting the tips of the trees, like it's like yeah. declaring the glory of God. And then therefore, people people can't say there's no God. Right. Um, and if, if they are, like they're lying, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's great. It's just so beautiful. Um, and it's just like a mark of, of it's, it's like his handwriting, you know, it's like you see somebody's handwriting, you know, yeah. it's like, that's him. Um, yeah. So you, you talked a lot about, um, it sounds like you have known him for quite a while. Um, maybe grew yeah. up in church. Um, is that kind of how things, so let me ask you that. Let me put it a different way. Everybody that I've had on here, um, a lot of them have just grown up in church. They've known no other thing, but there was something that they can go on this date. Like this is when my faith became my own. Like it's not my mom's faith. It's not my dad's faith. It's not my family because we're always in church. Like this is when I made the decision to follow Jesus. Do you know when that was? Uh, I couldn't tell you a calendar date, but I could tell you the time. Um, yeah. Really, like, you know, I moved I moved to Tennessee from Georgia, and really in Georgia, like, I knew everybody. Um, and everybody knew me as, like, Matt, the church guy. Like, I played guitar at this church. I worked at the church. I was always there. Like I volunteered at the church for the youth group. Like I, I, I was literally there almost seven days a week. Mm. That was like my identity. I get to Tennessee, nobody knows me, and I just kind of like get off in the weeds and start slowly getting off into um, nothing like crazy. Like I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like revelry of like this madness. Uh, but, right. um, but I was crossing these boundaries that I had maybe agreed to not cross and i just like slowly like tiptoe i'm like all right i'll go to a party i won't drink i'll go to now i'll i'll drink a beer but i won't get drunk bible says it's you just mm-hmm. don't get drunk that's fine you know and i i i do this and before you know it like i've i'm like this different person and i had a friend call me out on it uh, one of my best friends from high school we meet up for breakfast and he i remember sitting there at breakfast breakfast with him at the pancake pantry uh, in Nashville. And all I could think to do to make myself feel good about the way that I was going about my life was just to brag about it. So I was like, Oh yeah, man, like I, <laughs> I'm smoking weed and getting hot, you know? And I was like laughing about whatever. And uh, he's like, you know, just like he laughed with me and then we get, we're like leaving. And then he says, man, you're not the same Matt that I, used to know. And I don't think he meant it even like in a, a bad way or a condescending thing. You know, he, he, he just like, Oh, you're different. And, but then I, then it, then it just hit me like a ton of bricks of like, I'm not, this is not who I want to be, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was like the moment where I was like, all right, Lord, like I need you to fix this. Um, cause like apparently my identity is in what other people think of me and I'm just kind of doing whatever. And, um, 
so yeah, I, I mean, around that time I had, there was a guy that had helped me moved into my dorm that like offered to, you know, he worked for a, a campus ministry and he had offered to do Bible studies. And, you know, I, I never reached out to him and mm-hmm. somehow he got one of my buddy's numbers and invited us all to go to Zaxby's for dinner. He'd pick us up, take us over there, all this. And, um, you know, so we go to dinner with him and we get to the dinner and he, we eat and whatever we're talking, you know, small talk, whatever. And he's like, well, Hey, I was thinking I want to do this Bible study and I'll come to your dorm Mondays and, uh, I'll bring donuts and it's easy. Like you don't have to go anywhere. You I'll come to you. And I'm like, in this point of like, I don't know what to do. And this guy shows up and he's like, let's do a Bible study. I'm like, all right, <laughs> whatever, man. Um, so his name was Shannon. So Shannon and I ended up, he, he was part of a, an organization called the Navigators. If you're familiar with them, they're really focused on uh, one-on-one discipleship. And um, really like from that point on over the years, past that like it was a group of guys and then it became over the course of two years just me and Shannon and we we met together for probably close to six years without missing a week besides when I went off to summer break um and uh Shannon like I mean he's he really taught me what it was like to be uh close to the Lord how to have a a relationship with him, a personal, like I own this thing. Like you're, like you're talking about, like I, I, the, whatever I had before was like very childlike, uh, in, in a, in a bad way of like, I, it was not my own. I was just kind of doing whatever everybody else was doing of following the crowd. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what I would have said back then if like you asked me why I believed what I would have believed. I probably, you know, know some verses to quote to you, but I didn't have any ownership of it for sure. Um, so the, around that time, that would have been, I don't know, 2012 maybe um, was was when that happened. And that's when it, I mean, from there on, it was just like digging deeper and deeper. Um, there's been ups and downs, but deeper and deeper. And what I tell, so I'm always trying to figure out, um, cause I know a lot of guys that I'm, well, I shouldn't say I know. Um, maybe that's the problem is that I don't know what they believe. Right. Um, yeah, but I'm always trying to figure out like, what's your barrier to entry, dude? Like, um, you know, if, uh, you know, I want to pray before a meal or if I want to have a con- like guys just kind of, they'll just fade off into the corner and, you know, and I don't know if they, I don't think they take it as offensive because most of the, most of the guys that, you know, you run into hunting, like they will proclaim that, oh yeah, this is, there's no way there's not a God. Like we were talking about before. Right. right. Absolutely. This was created by God. Well, if it's created by God and there's a creation, um, what does your walk 
with him? Do you even know him? Like really know him? Um, not just, well, you know, we go to church. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm yeah. talking about, do you have a personal relationship with the one who gave his life for you and then walked out of the grave? Do you know that mm-hmm. Jesus? Like I know that you probably know the, the Jesus that maybe you hear when you go to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, but where is he? Uh, Wednesday at four o'clock, where is he, you know, Monday at three 30, like, that's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And so I'm always, I guess it's probably the point of our ministry really is yeah. to show that, Hey man, we are just like you, you who like, if you don't believe, or you can't answer that question of if I stop breathing right now and hit the floor, where am I going to be? Like, I know where I'm going to be. I know where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. I know where I'm going to be. I don't know where this other guy is going to be because he can't tell me. Um, I guess that's the point of our ministry is to say, hey, man, we're just like you. Um, we had doubts and fears and, you know, we were all there at one time or another. I don't know what you're mm-hmm. afraid of or I don't know what you think um, you have to give up or change or how following Jesus somehow makes you less of a man. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you this and you will probably, I think you would agree with it. Um, my life before Jesus was infinitely easier. <laughs> yeah. Before That's I probably. decided to follow him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my life, Verses Galatians five seventeen got it right there in my arm. Galatians five seventeen hadn't taken that off since about two weeks after I was saved. Um, but it says the flesh is set against the spirit. The spirit is set against the flesh. They're opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Yeah. Um, before I was saved, I could go out and drink anything I wanted to, as much as I wanted to, act the complete ass if I wanted to, and there was no struggle because there was no spirit, right? When I decided that I was going to make Christ the focus of my life and I fail daily in that uh, disclaimer, right? Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it got infinitely harder because now the convictions of, like you said, your buddy said, Hey, you're a different person, right? Um, yeah. that's what the spirit says to me when I do things, or say things that are stupid. Um, <laughs> hey, man, you're a different person, right? Um, yeah. And you can't argue with it because it comes from inside. The conviction comes. It doesn't come from people pointing their crooked fingers at you. That conviction comes <laughs> from within now. Yeah. And I've had guys yeah, that, tell me, you know, I don't like, I don't like church because it's just full of hypocrites. Well, bro, we got room for one more. <laughs> like no factor, man. I'll save you a chair. Yeah. The, 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 well, the pointing fingers thing you, you're talking, I mean, that's just religion. And I think, yes. um, I mean, that's, that's the Pharisee thing. You know, when you read yes. this, all those stories, um, you know, I think people really don't know the difference between even, even using like these words like fa- my faith or, 
um, mm-hmm. I'm religious or things like that. Like, like right. I don't consider being religious a good thing. No, <laughs> like, no, uh, not it's at all. It's a terrible thing. Uh, like, uh, if you read anything, like Jesus says, "You brood of vipers," <laughs> and yeah. like it's like calling them like, re- I mean, like he's intense about how bad this is on the outside you're all nice and clean and whitewashed on the inside you're full of dead men's bones yeah so i mean so you ask what i think it is uh i mean going off of what you were saying i think i think a lot of people just have no idea and and quite honestly like i read in um matthew seven it talks about this thing where jesus is like you know some of you well not not some many of you will cast out demons in my name you'll do these amazing things yet he'll say i never knew you and um i like when i think about that i get like it freaks me out um and I think, man, like probably like most people who maybe call themselves Christians do not know him. And and that will be them. And they're like, oh, crap. When they have to face God at the end of their life. And so like, uh, so I, I think like our job is to just facilitate that kind of acknowledging that. I mean, I, and and it's hard to even explain to somebody it's, it's honestly like harder to explain and minister to those people who um, maybe grew up in church, even, even like myself. I'm like, what would I have told myself when I was, you know, 18 years old and I thought I had it all together, you know? Um, and I had, I had to have this moment, but the, the scripture says like, only, like only the Lord draws people to him. And like, it's like this weird thing and people are like, well, what about the great commission? We're supposed to go and disciple, make disciples of all nations or whatever. So it's our job to do this. And it's like, well, you can do whatever you want. The Lord has to draw them. Scripture does not contradict itself. That's right. Um, so like I play a part in that. I don't, I don't know if I get to decide when that happens uh, or, or if I'm an important part of that happening, I don't, get to know or decide that, but I'm going to like do my best to yeah. um, facilitate those opportunities of like, Hey, if the, if the Lord's drawn and like, by the way, with the Holy spirit, he'll tell you, <laughs> it's like, it's not like it's a big secret. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, that's like a whole nother conversation we can have. Um, and, uh, but anyway, like, I don't know. I think like most guys, I know, I know for me, this was the case. And I know, uh, I talk with, I, I do a lot of one-on-ones with, with younger guys and even, even like men that are older than me and I'm talking to them about their life and you realize like, man, all these guys got daddy issues. Like yeah. every single one of them has for, for one reason or another. And, because their dads um, had dad issues. Well, and their for sure. Had, I mean, yeah, back to I mean, like I think about, yeah, <laughs> right. So I mean, like, but I think about that even when I, I I had this like hard time for a long time when this guy, Shannon, he comes and comes alongside me and disciples me and teaches me. And I'm like, I started getting mad. I'm like, I grew up in church. Why is this the first time that this is happening? And I was like, who should have done that? Well, probably my dad should have done that. Well, who should have done that for my dad? 
well, his dad, his well, dad. and then like you're saying, um, but, it, but then you think about all of it. It's like, man, my, my grandfather like grew up in the great depression and like my dad just was trying to be a little bit better than his dad, <laughs> you know? Yep. And his dad yep. is so far away from his emotions that right. like, you know, and, and so anyway, I think, I think really the, the thing that we have to do and have conversations about is, man, what does it look like to have God as our father? Mm. Um, and what does that even look like? Because I think that idea is so far fetched for one reason or another, yeah. whether, whether you like, I mean, my dad was not a bad dad, but like as a spiritual leader of our household, like he did not teach me any of those things. And yeah. whenever we went into that, like he would stray away from that. Right. Um, and so I think like that, like whatever people's dad issue is, I think like teaching them what really does the heart of God, the father look like and healing that first, I think is so, so important. Mm. Mm. So, okay. <laughs> if it, it is, if you read wild at heart. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think should be required for every adolescent male ever, right? Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why we, Eldridge, John Eldridge, who wrote the book, you know, he does his big boot camp in Colorado, right? Um, yeah. And they gave us all of their materials on video so that mm-hmm. we could facilitate a wild at camp boot, uh, wild at heart boot camp for different groups all over the place. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's crazy. But to your point of daddy issues, it's, it's about validation. And do I have what it takes to be a man? Like we have the heart of God in us. He says, I'm going to, the solution is I'm going to give you a new heart, right? That's, that's the solution. Um, but when we have, when we need validation of, do I have what it takes to be a man? Um, you know, men are, have been in large part emasculated in today's society, right? It's a toxic thing to be masculine. Um, but I think we have the perfect example of what it means to be a masculine male. If you know Jesus, you know what that looks like. Um, right. And so when we take that question of, do I have what it takes to be a man, when you take it to a woman, well, yeah, you have what it takes as long as you're meeting my needs. Um, and I can't take that question to my dad because he couldn't take that question to his dad and he couldn't take that question to his dad and on and on and on all the way to Adam. Adam didn't have what it took to answer that question because yep. of sin. Right. Um, and so you're right. That is the whole point of um, that's the point that Eldridge was making in Wild at Heart. When I read that, it really showed me what it meant to be able to call upon God as father. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, dude, when I tell you it changed my relationship, uh, like, because everything else to me, you said it, is religion. That's the part sure. that I did not want. 
That's yeah. I am the least religious person you will ever meet in the world, period. <laughs> um, but people that don't know, they know what I believe and they'll call me religious. No, religion is man's fuel attempt at pleasing God by any means other than faith alone and Christ alone. If you're doing these things, living by a set of rules, um, doing good works, being a good person, um, drinking a little bit less or this or that, whatever, you may be religious, but that doesn't mean that you know who your savior is. And that doesn't yeah. mean that you know what it means to be fathered by God. No. And like, that is such I think a the good other point, thing, dude. I'm glad that oh, you brought yeah. that oh, up. <laughs> yeah. I'm no, serious. I mean, and, and I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think the important thing to also note within that too is like, you, you know, you were talking about masculinity. Well, it's like part of the problem is we also all form our view of the world based on all the things that have happened around us over the last however long you've been alive. Mm -hmm. So we're taking that and forming our view of the world when really we need to form our view of the world around Christ, around the Bible, around the creator. What did, what did the, how did the Lord design this? What is he saying about this? Not what does yeah. the world say about this? Right. And so even, even within masculinity, you know, me and me and uh, Ben were talking today, we had lunch today and we were talking about, uh, maybe even some of these similar topics. And he was like, man, when I read the Bible, uh, it kind of seems like all of like the, the masculine things it's like saying not, not to do, you know, right. quote unquote masculine, the worldview right. of masculine. I mean, he, he, he asked a, a funny question. He's like, which, which Paul is more, more masculine is, is it the, the Paul that's going around killing all the Christians, or is it the the Paul that's writing sweet letters to Timothy? If you think you know, that masculinity is about being violent in nature, then yeah, you would say Saul, not Paul. Yeah. So right? it's like, we, yeah. So we need to form our our view of what even is masculinity off of off of the Bible. I mean, like Jesus did get intense and he flipped some oh, tables, yeah. but like most of the time, like he it doesn't seem like he was maybe what we would hope that he would be yeah. Uh, from, from the worldview of, or the, the, uh, the world's view of being a man, man, you or know, man what up to, or whatever you yeah, want to say. Whatever you want to call it. Um, another one of Eldridge's books is called beautiful outlaw. And I haven't read that one, dude. I'm telling you now, um, it focuses on the, the personality of Jesus, like his humanity. Uh, yeah. Because as if you read it in a religious type of mindset, if you read the gospels, you'll get this. And if you miss the subtle, the subtleties, you'll miss the fact that he laughed. He cried. He was fierce when he mm -hmm. had to be he said he got hungry. He said he got tired. Um, like he in Philippians points it out. Like he emptied himself of divinity when he took on human form and it's the only way that we are able to relate to him. I can't relate mm -hmm. to him as King or creator of the world or Messiah no. or because uh, yeah. I, I don't have any context and like, I don't know anybody like that. Right. And I think that's what 
a lot of people think of Jesus, you know, speaking in parables and he's just this aloof kind of guy that's always kind of arm's length from everybody. And no, man, I mean, he would, he would kick back at a wedding and, and laugh and like you, you get a picture. He brought of, like, the wine never, <laughs> and he brought the good stuff. Um, <laughs> like I think most people, like they have no trouble picturing Jesus as king and yeah. even maybe as God in the flesh. But do you, do you think you could see him as one of your friends if he was here mm-hmm. or brother or like one of my favorite stories about him is towards the end of John where the guys are the disciples are waiting for him on the beach and apparently Jesus is running late. Right. <laughs> and so they get bored and Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And so they take the boat out and they sit yeah. all night and they don't catch anything. And it says the next morning, Jesus was walking up the beach and scripture makes a point to say he kept himself hidden from them. So in other words, um, they don't know who it is and he ain't letting them know who it is. Um, is this Jesus being a little playful? when he says, uh, children, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And he says, try the other side of the boat. Where have we seen that before? Right. And so they put their nets down the other side of the boat and they're full. They can barely pull them in. Scripture says they pull them up on the beach. And the part that I love about it is he said that like 354 biggins. So even then fishermen, like they took the time to count them and say, nope, I caught that big one. Like this is your pile over here. This is, these are the big ones over here are mine. Right. Um, but what I love about Jesus is it's sometimes it's not what he did or what he said. It's what he didn't do or didn't say. Right. Yeah. Um, he didn't say, bring your scrolls and let's go to the temple and have a Bible study. It says that he had a cookout on the beach for breakfast with his best friends. And I'm like, I mean, that's, that's the kind of friends. That's the kind of person that I want to know. That's the kind of Christ that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so beautiful outlaw just does a great job of pulling out those stories from scripture and saying, look at his personality. This isn't like, um, I, I think Eldred said, reading the gospels without considering Christ's personality is like watching the TV with the sound off. Yeah. You know, you just, you have no context. I mean, it's just, you know, it's kind of two dimensional, mm-hmm. but man, once you know him like that, bro, that's the Jesus I want people to know. Yeah. That's the Jesus I want people to know. Mm-hmm. What, um, Dude, we've been at it for almost two and a half hours. I told you. <laughs> Didn't I tell you it was going to happen? Yeah, you did. It I believed does. you. <laughs> um, any uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I I mean, I think like the the only thing that like if i had to say something to anybody about all of the stuff that we just talked about i think that i would just encourage people like there's there's no i don't think you have to have like this big aha moment or like this you know 
light from the clouds moment where it just all comes together and you don't like the other thing is like you don't go from zero to a hundred overnight. And it, it starts with asking the Lord to like reveal himself to you. It starts with seeking him. Um, you know, he says, seek and you will find. Um, so it starts with that, you know, there's, there, there's the ask the seek and the knock scripture. Um, and each one of those, what, what I love is, you know, ask is like the simple thing. Like you're in class and you have a question, you raise your hand. That's the, the easy one, S- you know, seek, you got to go a little further. You go to the, um, the teacher after class, can you ask him a question? And then you really don't get it. You studied, you went and looked in the book <laughs> and now you go and you knock on their office door and you, it's just you and them and you get to ask them your question. Um, and so I, th- I think that's what the Lord wants from us. I think he wants us to ask for more of him. I think he wants us to come and go and find him. And I think he wants us to knock on his door and come and eat with him. You know, that's what he wants us, us to be with him, us to be one with him. So if, if you don't like have that, if you're listening to this and you don't have that, I mean, I would just encourage you to do that. Ask, ask the Lord for more. Just start with that one step. Ask him, what does this look like? And, um, spend time with him. What does that look like? I mean, it, it's spending time talking to him, you know, spending time in, in the scriptures and he'll reveal himself to you. Like if you ask that question and he, <laughs> he's going to reveal himself to you, he wants, wants to be close to you. Yeah. He's not going, he'll draw you, but he's not going to drag you kicking and screaming. No, no, no. Dude, that's awesome. Sounds like a good place to write, man. I So I would encourage everybody go to Of The Field on the gram. Um, shoot Matt a message. Let him know you heard about him on the podcast. Give him a follow. Um, some of the best con- – I just I love the content. So I want to encourage everybody to do that. And, um, dude, I'm not kidding. Grab your boy Ben. Get in the truck. Come down – 55 however you're gonna 59 <laughs> however you're gonna get into close to new orleans and uh let's go catch some trout man while they're while they're biting and we can put a plan together for duck season i'd love it <laughs> all right dude i appreciate uh you spending so much time with me um hang on just a second and i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up but have a good evening man you too and with that, Matt Carey has left the conversation. Um, and I, I knew I would enjoy um, talking with Matt, but it's just um, you get in these conversations with with people that just you feel like you're a little bit better off for having the conversation, and I definitely feel like that right now. I also think that. Uh, you're going to hear Matt on the podcast again. That much I can tell you. Um, guys, if you haven't followed uh, or when you when you stop the podcast, head over to Up the Field on Instagram. Give Matt a follow. I guarantee you're going to love the content. Um, if you like the podcast, give us a subscribe. That helps. And um, 
if you're down with what we're doing from a ministry perspective, from a podcast perspective, if you would consider giving, um, it costs to do this and, um, we enjoy doing it. Uh, but a little help is, is always nice. So you can go to revelation outdoors and donate. We are a registered 501 C three. So it's tax deductible. We would appreciate it. And, um, Thanks for listening, and we will uh, we'll see you in another probably ten days with another episode. Uh, but until then, bye bye, y'all.